Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Once Upon a Stream podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Shook. I'm along here with my co-host, Megan Mann. Hello. And today's episode is for as our title this this week to, from Disney Plus is Iron Man 3. And you're wondering, I thought we were covering Christmas movies in December. But you know what? It is a Christmas movie. <laughs> Why is it a Christmas movie? Tell me. Well, it is set during Christmas time. There are Christmas decorations throughout. Christmas There's music. snow. Yes, there is snow. There is fireworks, which as far as not everyone would associate fireworks with Christmas, but I live in the South, so <laughs> there's an excuse for fireworks in any major occasion. Um, I don't think we have fireworks up here. I think it's just, um, it's too cold. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that we have fireworks. Well, Southern folks just want to blow stuff up. I'll put so- in my brain fireworks. Absolutely. And then, also, it's our podcast, and we're making the choices. We make the choices, so we're counting it. We have dubbed the a Christmas movie. We sure have. Oh yeah. Um, further evidence of a Christmas movie? I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, Tony Stark does wear plaid in multiple occasions, and <coughs> wearing plaid is one of the check marks. Every Christmas movie needs plaid. It's true. All right, and so. Let's just get it out of the way first off. RDJ, Robert Downey Jr., he is Tony Stark. He is. Not everyone liked that. No, it was a gamble. And now that we are 11 years of the MCU, 22 movies later. Jeez, Louise. I know. Billions upon billions of dollars in box office. We're rolling it back to phase two out because we just concluded phase three or four. I can't remember I, how I it think all it, breaks down. I thought I it, think was it three? I think three, and I yes. Yeah, so Black because Widow's I feel like be, four four is starting starts, with Black Widow. Yeah, right. Okay. Yes. Yes. So we're rewinding to a previous phase, and. As far as, it's kind of funny, you kind of forget how early on in the saga of the MCU that the Iron Man movies are all kind of front-loaded, since he was the first and the trailblazer. He was, and like we said, no one really wanted him to be Iron Man. I think it was just a general like consensus among comic book nerds that they were just like, simply not. No, I shan't accept this. Because I think, well, at the time, right, RDJ was a mm, risk. Yeah, we'll go with a risk because he wasn't really in stuff anymore. He was still in his, I don't want to say. Comeback phase. Yeah, I don't want to say exile because that's not right. But he was still, you know, in his comeback. This was his comeback this was what catapulted him into being back on top of the Hollywood A-list. Because, you know, due to his... How do, they, I want to say there were There were some smaller movies um, as far as 
that kind of brought him back into like critical reception radar but this is what made him a household name again right because as, he after had, his he, personal issues of working stuff out and yeah, we'll jail that. time served good, i was and, trying to find a nice way to say that. <laughs> but you know he he did the work and made it made it through which is not easy and kudos exactly and this brought him back and honestly i don't know how you felt um but when I walked into the first Iron Man movie, I I had honestly bottom of the barrel expectations. I was like, I don't know. Probably not. And then I walked out of the theater and I looked at my friend and I was like, oh my God, that was so good. Exactly. As far as it was just like a sure fine, it's going to the movies because this one, it started back in 2008. And so... I was in East Texas where movies were still cheap, and so I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go. Uh, yeah, I Check think it mine out. was, like, not that expensive either. So that way, as far as before movies became, like, $15 a ticket and craziness like that. Yeah. And so, yeah, they it was just kind of a gamble of low expectations because up to that point, it had been a very long time since a comic book movie was good. Woo! Do we say that? Because the Christopher Nolan Batman movies were spectacular. Well, as far as we only had when the first Iron Man dropped, it was just Batman Begins. And so that like that was kind of it was still just an outlier. It wasn't a trend. Because kind of Batman right. Begins in a Iron Man kind of are in the tandem of restarting the trend. I mean, we've always had Batman movies, but I think with the Christopher Nolan Batmans, it really changed the tide in what a superhero movie could be. Because it was like both of these at the same time are like 2008 is a pivotal year because Iron Man comes out in May and The Dark Knight comes out in July. And as far as not just comic book movies, but blockbusters and major studio temples in cinema as we know it, for better or worse, changed. Oh, yeah, totally. For for uh, Up until then, it was basically like, okay, what are we going to have as our Christmas release? Because people go to the movies at Thanksgiving and they go to the movies at Christmas. Those are where they were primarily focusing on. They were like, okay, what films can we put out at this time so that people were going to the movies and there were some summer releases but once it came down to something like and i mean you because well you had you had christmas and you had fourth of july like christmas thanksgiving fourth of july those were your big release dates and then harry potter came out whenever it felt like because it was harry potter and it was gonna blow up basically Mm -hmm. so and so this was as far as now it is the transition where it's not necessarily the dates but the ip that sets mm -hmm. up what's going to be a big box office weekend right because these i mean because fast forward to this year endgame came out last weekend in april right and that's not even a time when people that's not a thing it's not because it's not like that's that's not the beginning of summer that's no. not the summer season at all. Summer doesn't start until last week of May. That's when the summer films start coming out. Early June, late May, that's when it happens. And now it's like we have these big tentpole films 
throughout the year so that we can we could just release anything whenever and it'll still like we have these big movies right like marvel like the marvel movies and when we put these out we can release whatever we want throughout the year because we know we have these big films in between exactly so it totally changed the landscape It's completely revolutionary, and then getting specifically relevant to Iron Man 3 as far as revisiting it. So, at this point, this is Robert Downey Jr.'s fourth time playing the character. So, he did Iron Man's 1 and 2, and then... Avengers. Just Avengers. The Avengers. No, no colon with a subtitle. Just Avengers. It was just the Avengers... And this is where he talked about shawarma, the whole movie, 2012 film by John Swabin, and and that was a reference to a different podcast. But as far as so, basically, it, it we are kind of getting to the point in this whole Marvel series, and Iron Man three really is the one that I would say kind of exemplifies this the best of we've now had enough turnaround time with these characters that you can go deep and oh, as yeah. far as you can really get into characterization development how these characters are dealing with the events from previous movies in the interconnectedness of it all where you kind of see the consequences of one movie carry over into another right and because that was as, the first thing that really crisscrossed everything because now by now we're so used to it we're so used to someone else showing up in something else we're so used to that we're so used to seeing nick fury everywhere we're so used to saying okay well this person's gonna be in this movie but it's not their movie they're just there as like a side character and this person's going over here like when hulk was in ragnarok or because i was going to say as far as one of my favorite examples that just shows the crazy level of interconnectedness now is in Thor Ragnarok there there's a scene with Thor and Hulk and they're able to do a throwaway joke about Tony Stark's clothes because we've known these characters enough to see like that style of t-shirt and glasses and blazer to recognize oh that's Tony Stark's clothes which right exactly which is kind of crazy that we're to that level now of we know these characters we love these characters we're invested in them but really as far as before iron man 3 really you had basically a bunch of solo movies introducing the characters and then iron man 2 like it was a little bit of character development but it was also a lot of avenger setup and that's where as far as it's kind of not as positively regarded as the other two but iron man 3 is like okay we've been with this character long enough now let's get into who this person is and the stuff that they need to work out and how that fits in their hero's journey and how the events that have happened are affecting that character and that's what gave us all of the rest of those kind of things like we wouldn't have thor going through motions yeah like or thor in um endgame we wouldn't even have that we wouldn't have it at all 
we wouldn't have anything. Um, that's not true. Steve Rogers has always been a very, very emotional man. But as far as of getting to the point of seeing his progression to, like, that there are these wide-ranging character arcs. And so that with none of, like, these main core characters, none of them are the same as they were in the first movie. And oh, totally. That, which was extremely apparent in Endgame, but as far as... I would say, in my opinion, Iron Man 3 is the one that really showed of, like, this is something that we can do storytelling-wise, and people will be on board for it. Right. Because while, like, Iron Man 3 is kind of mixed reviews as far as the regard with it amongst fans, but the things that people take umbrage with, that it's, it's not about, like, the character stuff. So that's where, like everyone was really interested of where we're in this deep and so we we care about tony stark and his journey and so getting to see that unfold was really exciting i agree especially because you can't have so since this is post first avengers this is the first movie that came out after the avengers you're seeing him actually dealing and process it with a very, very almost catastrophic event. I mean, they destroyed New York City. Like, Loki had the Tesseract and on his little Mababi, and he brought down all these aliens, and Tony and the uh, original core had to fly a nuke into space to I save mean, a bunch of people and almost died. <laughs> I mean, come on. you If you had that happen to you, I guarantee you would also be feeling a lot of things and you would have to deal with that so i loved that they took the opportunity didn't squander it and really played into tony dealing with his ptsd and of of the whole attack on new york and dealing with all of that because as far as having real like having consequences for actions makes us care And so that way it's not like an episode of Full House where whatever conflict is resolved in 20 minutes and will never be spoken of again. Right. It shows that things matter so that way when there are situations of peril, we care. Exactly. And it would be a disservice to the story to just have Tony be like, you know what? I'm fine. Everything's fine everything's fine i'm not even worried okay cool i had to like fly into space it's like not even be able to deal with it i almost died it's whatever um it, it would be a disservice to the audience we wouldn't even care we'd be like okay really we're gonna well, pretend like that didn't happen because as far as having them actually processing even as far as the majority of the movie is actually him not dealing with it but well even just talk like even just making it a point of the story is what i'm saying yeah but making that as far as a point that he's actually going through it it helps him be more real to us right that's what i'm trying to say since we can identify with as far as having like some kind of even though our like when we 
just first just to get like super down to basics of the core of it all the media we consume and the stories that we are interested in we're wanting to see a part of ourselves either like identifying directly on like a even level or aspirational or cautionary as far as obviously our lives we don't have something as catastrophic of a trauma as aliens Aliens. from a sky being through space and destroying everything (laughs) that you're loving so it's not that you don't deal with that on a day-to-day basis we do have things that come along in our lives that then shake everything that we thought we knew about the world it's all crumbling down and what do we do now because I thought I knew what was what, but apparently not. Apparently not. And so to be able to see someone kind of process through that, that kind of conflict we identify with, and so then we are invested to see how is Tony going to handle this and how he does kind of push through it and work through it and still triumph and all of that that's what what makes him a hero and what makes him greater is that he still does have that trauma but even then he's still going to save the day and all of that right and so as far as like we're saying of not just like not just mentions of the events and all of that but this was the first movie where you do have a superhero character that is showing PTSD symptoms. And I think that is so huge as far as to make things real and also to show that in such a mass, like, because this is, Marvel movies are as mass media as you can get in terms of the reach and the audience of who it who is consuming this as well and so how widely this story is being distributed and so you see him wake up from a nightmare and almost freak out on his partner and you see him have a like have a full-on panic attack in in a public setting right as far as in these things they aren't shown in terms of like the way they're framed in the story it's not shown as like a weakness per se it's just what tony's dealing with right now and i like it because i i mean think about it so many people watch these movies like you said they are mass media at its peak right yeah. so think about all these people that are consuming this content and you think okay like we said like with you know Tony in this movie, or Thor in Endgame, where he gets depressed, gains a lot of weight, is becomes a recluse. Um, I mean, so many things throughout the films where these they're talking about real topics that are people. A lot of people feel are, which I think is absurd, taboo because you know we're making progress in terms of the mental health discussion, but it is still so stigmatized in a lot of ways. So for it to be at the forefront of some of these movies and not just like, ugh, whatever, they're whatever. They're like actually diving into it and, you know, talking about it. 
Because I think at, at this point, so too, perfect. it is Iron Man 3 of, at this point, it it is Tony freaking Stark as far as he is a big deal. He is. At this point in 2013, he has reached a zenith of, he's as popular as Batman now. Like, right. And he of, is, is just, is, is a major figure in the cultural consciousness and like how one of those big figures that we use to discuss things. And he's so, he's, he's like the poster child for cool. You know what I mean? Like, he's always, he's aspirational as far as, like, he's super rich and he's super smart. He's super smooth, charismatic. Uh, and charming. But also, but also. Always has the perfect, perfect quip. And also somewhat aloof, which we like. So he's, he's the, he's what people want to be like. And to see him also to be that person but also to say I'm crumbling is so great I think it's so great because I think it's easy for people to see a version of Tony Stark and be like okay well that's what that's Tony Stark and then to see him sort of lose his marbles and say okay I'm not doing well mentally I think that's huge it, it really is in as far as and also that they showed it in a realistic way that it's not like immediately solved of like panic attack arise and then all of a sudden he's like super better that there's right. some, there's some progression of dealing with it and then there's some regression as far as then with as far as like the villain plot and the movie and all of that when things escalate and one of as far as one's happy's in the hospital that he starts to kind of spiral again and that some of like his defense mechanisms of having that charm and bravado and all of that of like then just turning into a press camera and like giving his address on national television of like basically come at me bro right that, that's not healthy choices and so it shows as far as even our hero sometimes doesn't make the healthiest choice right and so tony is just it's such an interesting character and now that we've had so much as far as so many movies to be able to kind of really dive deep into it but we had movies like this where we really got to go there and get to know and see so many different sides and dimensions and all of that that you need as far as a lot of people kind of skip Iron Man 3 and the rewatch and all of that but you need Iron Man 3 to make as far as Infinity War and Endgame work right because you need as far as these moments to as far as flesh out these characters that that way when you do have these larger than life circumstances that you are invested in as far as of what he's going through but then you also when you have those moments in Endgame that are like the you get to see the culmination of the journey you need those different steps before that to then make that moment work and count and as far as slight end game spoilers but you know what podcast you're on deal with it <laughs> that as far as with end game that big conflict just being of like 
you can rest now. That's, if you could sum up as far as Tony's arc in anything, is from that first time in Iron Man 1, once he gets kidnapped and sees what the corruption of, like, his family's legacy and all of that has caused and how it's hurt people, he can't rest until, like, in his mind, he's righted it and saved as many people as he can and all of that. And so, and to his own detriment in that case. And so that's where different movies you kind of see sometimes his more self-destructive tendencies come into play and but still trying as far as doing all he can to bring as far as the most good into the world to because he still carries as far as the sins of the past that he feels need to be undone basically right and so it's interesting as far as iron man 3 then specifically as far as that portion of his arc because it's a really interesting thing about being the third movie is basically the end of his solo trilogy if you will and so it kind of has to have a conclusion for that like many three movie arc basically but then also since it is a part of the mcu and like much larger that it still had to show that there were steps to go beyond there and lead to the later movies that he appeared in. But as far as, so Tony Stark specifically in Iron Man 3 basically is, I have to kind of let some of the past go in order for me to move forward. Right. And also as far as, there's a part of me that thinks I, I fixed everything just by making Iron Man suits and all with a bunch of different toys and weapons and things that that was kind of the band-aid over like his trauma and freaking out over like what happened in the Avengers and also like you're saying of that he still doesn't feel like he can rest once his legacy and whole world got turned upside down that basically Tony keeps designing like over a hundred suits or something crazy like that and so basically iron man 3 just strips it down to the suits aren't going to fix it that the suits aren't the solution to the problem you being a hero is and so it's stripping away the gadgets and the money and all of that to just show as far as it's who Tony is is to try and as far as not give up and use his wits and as far as his his intellect and all of like the tools that he has as far as to save the people that he cares about right because I do like that it does get stripped down to the point that he's literally just like buying stuff from Home Depot (laughs) to (laughs) to be able to kind of come up with a solution there and kind of MacGyver's it and it gets like back to basics because especially too in terms of one of the reasons I don't connect as well with Iron Man 2 even though there is some good character stuff in it there's a lot of CGI of like the flying around in the Iron Man suits and playing around with the like the hologram stuff 
you know, in the lab of just waving his hands around and all of a sudden here's the here's the solution to the problem. Yay. Oh god. We I realize I'm waving my hands, but this is a podcast and so you don't actually get to see me no. do my do my hollow hands, but you get the picture. True facts. True facts. And so another reason why I do really love this movie is that it does kind of strip it down of just the core of who Tony is. That because I always I have a tendency of liking the non-powered superhero of just that it really breaks down to just who the person is, not by some kind of special thing that makes them like the superhero type thing. No, it's just that the person is is above and beyond at the core of who they are. Right. And then, as far as, so we've kind of dig deep into as far as Tony's arc and journey and all of that, and a big portion of what's explored too is at this point, since it is like the third movie, I'm so glad they didn't do like an extended will they, won't they, that they pretty much once, once the romance thing in Iron One happens, that they basically commit to it, which is wonderful of just showing okay they're partners that tony and pepper that they're in this together they're they're it for each other and so how are they gonna like do the work to keep their relationship working but also as far as that as tony's going through so much how like pepper's dealing with it too and all of that Right. Because Marvel's interesting in terms of a lot of times the romantic relationships aren't very fleshed out. They're just kind of there to kind of check off a quadrant. Like, check mark of like big boss busters of you need a pretty actress and a big kiss at the end and right. that kind of thing. Of And sometimes then you get like a great a-list actress that's squandered as the love interest cough cough rachel mcadams and dr strange but i I still mm, i have still a lot of feelings about that because you have rachel mcadams she's so talented and you don't use her to that's what i'm saying squandered potential the squandered potential is infuriating it really is who they didn't squander is Gwyneth Paltrow. They really didn't. They really didn't. She is just... This is actually one of my favorite roles of her. Really? Like, she's at her most likable, in my opinion. Okay, Okay. I'll agree. I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Yes, you are right on that She's a little awkward, and, like, you watch it, and she's Pepper. She's not Gwyneth which in so many things she may be in it but she's still Gwyneth you know right and then as far as still laughing a little bit she might not know what movie specifically right but especially when, it, when <laughs> in this phase of the MCU since it was just the Iron Man movie she knew where she, she was, was way more engaged she knew where into. she was for these 
she knew where she was for these and (laughs) is really giving her all into this character and they let her because at this point she's running the company and so she's just being a boss and looking fabulous in suits and that they do kind of show of how she kind of has to go through of being a partner to someone who's obviously dealing with some deep like trauma but isn't necessarily reaching out to her for it and so she wants to be there for tony but you can't really you can't help a person who doesn't want to be helped and so it it was kind of something that he had to kind of work out first before like bringing her into it but then you kind of have some interesting interplay with the villains and all of that but my one big regret that they do kind of pay off in endgame but that uh, they kind of undo that she has the like the superpowers from the extremis serum at, at the climax of this movie that then they're like oh yeah and then they took it out and she fixed it and she's fine and back to normal and i was like no <laughs> i wanted her to be like wanted her to have powers too because that would be great but also then they would have to pay Gwyneth Paltrow to be more in more movies and so that's what causes the breakup in Civil War although it also worked well for his character arc because Tony is a mess without Pepper and he doesn't make good decisions when she's not there true that's very true it's part of why I enjoy the ship Yes, I do. As far as of like a true shippable couple that is asterisk on it, that is canon. Tony and Pepper are the king and queen of the MCU. It's just what it is. I mean, we don't make the rules. We just follow them. We just do. We just do. Because they are the best. I mean, not only just because they're the first, I would say, but because they're just perfect. Like no one else could be on Tony's level. And it's the one that the writers the most have properly serviced and given time to develop and that they recognize that Pepper is a very important part of Tony's story. And do we think that Robert Downey Jr. feels the same way? I do. Okay, because I think so too. I think he kind of had a little bit to do with that because I feel like he understands the character of Tony needing Pepper. Well, he's actually, he's the one that brought up of, like, in Avengers 2012, the first one, that he's like, well, Pepper needs to be there, as far as, because in the first drafts of the script that she wasn't in the movie. Dumb. And he's like, well, they live together and are a couple, and he almost dies, and so... It's, like, not even a big deal. Like, she needs to be a part of it. And he is always basically calling back to pepper throughout all of the mcu he's like okay if i die let pepper know this i'm gonna record a message for pepper if i die i have to talk to pepper one last time like it's always always going back to pepper it's always back to her and they have really great chemistry and like one of my favorite moments in this movie is the freak out of over the giant bunny that he gets her for Christmas (laughs) and just look like their argument banter of she's just like 
what even is this thing? <laughs> and that their banter's super great. Also, I will eternally be amused at all of the camera tricks and platform shoes and everything that they do to make RDJ a little bit taller to kind of keep them on like the right levels in the shot framework because it, it will always be funny. Oh, I love it. I do. It's just great. And so as far as I'm always, it's just the way I consume media. I always lean towards shipping as far as like I, I always want a couple to root for. And that is part of why I do connect with as far as of like the different solo movies. I really do connect with like the Iron Man movies that they hold a special place in my heart because of Pe- Pepper and Tony. They're just, they make my heart happy. They're perfect. And they're now in retrospect, their whole arc and everything. It's beautiful and tragic and heartwarming at the same time. It's all so perfect. And so like Pepper's great in the movie. And this was as far as this was also while the second outing for Don Cheadle as Colonel Rhodes. Um, Which we love him. We love him. and He's perfect. Always more of him, please. Always. But, like, it was another where you kind of got to see that dynamic work and flesh that out and all of that. And I do actually... Part of it is the feels that I have still carrying over from Spider-Man Far From Home, but I really do love John Favreau as Happy Hogan. I really do. You know what? Because he he did the first, what, two Iron Man movies? Did he do one and two? I know he did one. He directed... Did he? Because I, I know he for sure directed the first one. Yeah. Let's look. Iron Man 2. Yes, so he directed the first two. Okay, yes, So 3 is done by Shane Black, who previously worked with Robert Downey Jr. in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a pretty cool movie. Recommend. So good. So good. But as far as... Then after he directed those two, and John got busy kind of conquering... Doing everything for Disney. Getting getting those Disney checks but he always had time to kind of still appear as happy and which I loved and I love the recurring bit that happy Hogan loves Downton Abbey oh my god I it makes my heart so happy I can't even describe as I a laughed very, out loud when I first saw the movie in the theater and I was like really as, we're getting like Downton references That's as a so- very serious Downton Abbey fan to have that it's because that is one of those things with those venn diagrams downton abbey fans mcu fans very small sliver in the middle but now i wonder does that mean we can't cast downton abbey actors in the mcu oh my god don't don't get my hopes up don't do it i can't unless it's real i don't want it unless it's real i don't even want the hopes because i think michelle dockery would be just perfect in one of these oh no don't get me started i can't mm -mm. well i was thinking dan stevens or lily james but we'll see the thing about dan stevens is that he did legion which is um based in the i believe x-men universe 
Yes. So, so some, sometimes it gets a little murky when you take someone who's done one superhero thing and put them in another superhero thing. It gets a little murky because you already associate them so heavily with something else. Like if Hugh Jackman showed up in the MCU, I'd be like, oh, baby, but what Chris Evans doing? was both Human Torch and Captain America. But we can't. See, here's the thing. Those movies are so easily forgotten that we just pretend they weren't there. See what I'm saying? True. While Dan Stevens' work in Legion is masterful. I mean, if you want a really wild ride and you want peak Aubrey Plaza, you watch Legion. Legion is weird. Just throwing it out there. If you want something real weird, I said Aubrey Plaza was in it. Come on. So if you want something weird and you want it smart. But you want really good acting, you want really good storytelling, and you want really good um, Marvel content that is not so bonkers. easily... Mm-hmm, I was going to say easily accessible, but bonkers works too. Watch Legion. It is so good. Oh my god, it's There so will be good. random dance numbers, there will be homages to silent film. And you know what? You accept it all. That's how that goes. Yeah. Just roll with it. And it's just, it is. It's a great show. But, you know, be forewarned, it's, it's trippy. It's weird. <laughs> it's trippy. Um, but it's okay, because that's fine. So I think it would be, maybe not with so much Dan Stevens, because Legion is a bit more of a deep cut than, you know, anything else. I feel like, I would see I could see Lily James in one of them. Or Alan Leach. I could. I could see it, and I'm down. Well, I just, I love Lily James and want her to be in everything. So, there's that. I mean, that's not even a discussion we need to have, because I think she's perfect, and I want her in everything all the time. These are the facts. There's no other way to say it. I want her in everything. Because she was the single best person to play Cinderella. She was the single best we will person. Get it. We will get into that in an episode later. And she is the single best person to play young Meryl Streep in Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Exactly. And I could go on, on there, for there's some, de- there's some decent MCU Mamma Mia overlap, which I am here for. Here for it. Again, with the Venn diagram. Oh, that now we need Colin Firth in the MCU. Could you imagine? And he proved he can be in an action movie with the Kingsman movie. Exactly. Movies. Sorry, he was in both. So he's proven he can be an action star. Yes. And And he's already in Disney films. And he can be a bad guy, a la Mary Poppins Returns. Exactly. Disney, villain, it's all happening. We need him is what we're saying petition began <laughs> but let's but just do, they need all the actors exactly but, but speaking back, speaking of all the actors all the actors that there were like so we talked about the hero of the story and then those who support said hero but at the core of a story you need a villain and in this one or so we believed. Or so we believed. Or so we believed was the Mandarin. Played the Mandarin. So, so beautifully by Sir Ben Kingsley. You have to remember he is a sir. 
absolutely and that that was like really the big buzz going into it is like omg the mandarin's going to be the main villain in iron man 3 and for those who aren't comic book oriented and i'm not i just google things but as far as basically the mandarin is like the big villain for iron man that he's his lex Luthor, if you will of like his lex Luthor, his joker of like the villain of the villains that this is like the core one that is central to iron man's story and right. so but then first when they announced that they're like well how are we gonna responsibly adapt that because um the mandarin was written as far as the comics were right in the 70s and it was smack dab in the middle of the vietnam war and so there's some not so great asian stereotyping going on there True. and it's like the asian mysticism and the fu manchu and then it's basically that he has like he's the leader of this organization called the 10 rings because he got these 10 magical rings from outer space and in the comics aliens it always well especially marvel comics got into a lot of cosmic weirdness in the 70s because things got weird in the 70s we can't even explain it there was a lot of cosmic weirdness happening and <laughs> that's what we're going to call what that is we're, that's what we're going to say it's a nice euphemism indeed <laughs> but as far as so people were like how's this going to work and they were kind of teasing oh this is going to be a more modern version and you got kind of got to see the first bit of sir ben kingsley as the mandarin in like the trailers and everything and it was kind of this very much like modernized in a post 9-11 world of like this middle eastern terrorist with the like the scary ominous like videos that are sent out type thing and like creating this like larger than life figure of like that inspires fear and dread and like has everyone on edge and but then but then we find out it is revealed sir ben kingsley he's not the mandarin he's a fraud he's trevor Salatri. i am an actor <laughs> i cannot tell you how hilarious once we find out that like when he opens the door and he's just there and like yeah. it's a disaster and th- there's like models there's passed models out on the everywhere. couch and-, and he's like what is this and he just like the whole thing unravels because oh if my you think god about it, the, the te- it's so brilliant because the tension at this at that point is at an all-time high because as of what we knew up to that point the mandarin has like threatened to kill people he shot people on camera he blew up tony's house so everyone thinks he's dead and so tony's been like stranded and had to like macgyver weapons from a home depot equipment and has broke broken into this big compound with like scary guards with guns in miami and it's all <laughs> creeping into this room and then this idiot this complete bumbling moron and so tony's just been on edge and just 
freaking out ever since the Mandarin came on the scene, and he's like, this? What is this? This is the cause of all my troubles. But then we come to find out it's not actually, it's a front. It's a front. For there two is people a real he trusted. Mandarin of, there, there is an actual threat that is causing actual damage. And it was two people that Tony knew and trusted. That, well, one he trusted and then one that he had. I always laughed as far as there's some, some incredibles parallels going on. Mm-hmm. And as far as kind of that you have, like, we didn't even touch on the, the brilliance of, like, the beginning scene of this movie because I love it so much of what's the easiest way to let the audience know that it's 1999 <laughs> we play Eiffel 65's um, Blue Daba D I mean it sets the scene it sets the tone that it is sets all the time. you need <laughs> that, it, it's like the perfect sound bite to just capture okay we're in the 90s. We're there. It's Y2K. It's happening. We have to let you know in the best way and easiest way possible. Boom. Boom. Blue. I'm blue. And that is all we will sing so we don't get copyright flagged. Completely. As far as so in like in New Year's Eve 1999 that he comes Tony's at this big old party and as far as he's trying to impress a girl but he gets accosted in the elevator by like there's this like nerdy guy with a limp that's trying to talk uh, to him like talk to him impress him and he's like yeah yeah sure and because Tony's three shoots to the wind anyway at this point and he just wants to um get busy with the hot girl that he's with true and so he's like okay here's what I'll do meet you on the roof and then the nerdy dude with the limp he literally waits on the hotel roof like in switzerland so it's like freezing but cold outside but he waits like all night long and so thus ruins his life thus the villain origin story and then as far as the girl that he was meeting was also actually a brilliant scientist and was working on this kind like this serum for like regeneration type deal and so both of these people in his past have come together However, it's Alter Killian that the nerdy guy that he's now all handsome and suave now. Hitting on Pepper. Hitting on Pepper, which not okay. Happy is not cool with that. And so as far as then it's revealed, he's the one who's the Mandarin of that it's brilliant of like the Sir Ben Kingsley image that was put out there is kind of it's from a think tank that they basically kind of focus group what's scary what's a terror threat that would get you like on edge and all of that and so it perfectly serves the function that it was supposed to while really it's just a smoke screen for white guy ceo doing shady business things yeah but and he has the help well, just having as far as you have that scapegoat of the vaguely Middle Eastern terror threat. But he has help from... I can't remember the character's actual name, but Hold it's on. actress or... Hold on, I got this. Her name is Maya Hansen. 
There we go. Maya Hansen. And so played by Rebecca Hall. Who's wonderful. Once again, another actress of underused potential. Completely. And so, just a kind of behind-the-scenes thing, the original story was going to have Maya be, like, even more the main villain than Aldrich Killian, of kind of another layer onto that of she's the one running the show of determined to kind of, like, take over and also cause all this destruction in Tony Stark's life. And it was kind of going to be a way of Tony facing consequences for his past in part of his past before before the events of Iron Man 1 when he wasn't as good of a person is that Tony wasn't that great to women when he was in his Playboy days. Right. And so kind of showing not just like the carelessness and like kind of dismissing Alter Killian off, but also as far as of just not treating people the way that they should be treated, but having a very talented actress play a interesting female villain. However, at this time, um, we weren't in the Kevin Feige phases of the MCU that Ike Perlmutter, who was CEO of Marvel at the time, he was still in charge of the storytelling and he kind of nicks that idea and nipped it in the bud, which as far as a lot of like the progressive choices and things that could have happened earlier, it was Perlmutter that pretty much was the one that put the axe on that because Gross. you can kind of, there's an interesting oral history on it this past yeah, it was just this past week we got the trailer for the Black Widow solo movie, mm-hmm. which yeah. there's been talk about a Black Widow solo movie for forever. For forever. And he, Perlmutter, and he's the, Perlmutter is the one he had said that won't sell. A female-led Marvel movie will not sell. You will not rake in money with the merchandise. He did not want a female-led film at at all and so we could have had a black widow movie a while ago a lot earlier when there was a lot more work hype about natasha as a character and also a lot more goodwill to scarlett johansson as an actress where she didn't shoot herself in the foot every (laughs) single time she opened her mouth they she better get her publicists and stuff a nice they better have good Christmas presents. That's all I'm saying. I'm all, that's all I'm saying. Merciful heavens. That's all I'm saying. Shutting up costs you nothing. It, <laughs> be real. Be, be real. real. Like, I'm still excited because Florence Pugh and Rachel Weisz and David Harbour have my heart. I mean, and Rachel Weisz can like, do no wrong. Truly. And I still, as far as... I still have some attachment to Natasha as a character, but if this came out, like, after Winter Soldier came out... It would have been a totally different vibe. It would have been a totally different vibe, and it would have been, like, record-breaking success and all of that. Because, like, of course I have to see it in terms of the universe. I have to. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm not that excited. I'll see it because I have to. I don't want to see it because I think it's going to be groundbreaking. Yeah. You know? Like, it'll be fine, and 
Also, that I'm glad that they're setting up Florence Pugh as the next Black Widow because this is her year. She is the breakout actress of 2019, and she is super talented. She and really so, is. She really is, and I'm really looking forward to her being in Little Women. Mm-hmm. Really looking forward to it. And I thought she was. There's. I mean, it's not really like a family-friendly movie, but she was in uh, this movie called. Um, Lady Macbeth and it was very good it was very good but it's not like a you know it's a very uh kind of slow period piece (laughs) would not show up on Disney Plus let's just say that Mm, no (laughs) yeah no no but she has she's really gonna she's really gonna shine she's gonna shine and I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. I want it now. Yeah. I'm, I'm really ready. But for real, as far as, like, with the whole Mandarin situation, there were some people that were enraged as far as the comic fans. If you, like, so a little bit of context as far as if you just have been listening to this for Disney reasons, Megan and I both first knew each other as far as being a part of the fandom of Arrow, mm-hmm. which is on the CW, and kind of being a part of that DC TV world. So we've had experiences before with the segment of fandom that if there's any change in adaptation to quote unquote comic canon, I hope you're the favorite phase. There. Yes. <laughs> it. It hurts my soul every time to speak those words in concession of each other. But, alas, that there are the folks that, as far as if comic canon is altered in the slightest... It's the end of the world! Down to a hair color, to an eye color, to a word out of place, that they lose their ever-loving minds. And so they did. They did. There were think pieces and a lot of things, and that's where a lot of times, if you're looking at a lot of the retrospective of the MCU, um, that kind of backlash is why often Iron Man 3 doesn't rank as high in people's listings, but because of the choices that they made with this Mandarin reveal, but it's brilliant it was uh, as far as it was a way to modernize the storytelling and use the proper context to subvert expectations and then as far as not fall into because the thing is as far as with representation of media of minority groups that it still has to be ethical representation that it's not enough just to have as far as a person of color on the screen that they need to be portrayed in a responsible way right and so doing the mandarin as he was in the comics that's not it's not necessary it and that would be as far as a harmful stereotype on screen yet again and so it's a brilliant move to sidestep it but also they did it in a way that was relevant to 
like society and as far as our times it was relevant to tony's character arc and it enhanced the story while also being a nice gotcha moment as far as the twist there and so it was all of those things that went together of the story service the twist it wasn't a twist just to subvert expectations another phrase that i hate from film and television writers cough cough game of thrones Mm -hmm. but as far as subverting expectations it's not just to pull in over on the audience that there's supposed to be a point to it and in iron man 3 there is and so that that's where as far as context is what's important about it because for contrast dr strange they thought they like some of the marvel folks they kind of got the wrong lesson out of it and so they kind of try to pull the same chapter like i forget what the metaphor is of kind of pulling the same page for that they did in iron man 3 with the ancient one is asian comics but kind of like this wise sage that it is a little bit of a stereotype but it's a positive stereotype and they thought okay we'll subvert expectations and that way it'll be tilda swinton in a bald cap and so nailed it that's gonna be the whoa moment that's gonna not make anyone mad she'll be celtic for some reason in (laughs) no (laughs) no reason to explain as far as why she's in this like wizard school in the himalayas (laughs) sure sure that makes sense that makes perfect sense most perfect sense (laughs) and so and it services the story in no way there's no reason that as far as her being celtic (laughs) i'm sorry it's so funny it's because it's absurd and so whereas having as far as there is a point to basically the villain isn't what it appears to be that it's the handsome blonde guy that is the one actually causing the destruction as far as the suave man in the well-tailored suit that that's a much more timely story as far as of who is causing as far as the threats of who is jockeying for power to the detriment of others right and so that was the better storytelling choice and so that's why i i still as far as justice for iron man 3 i i really enjoy this movie i do too and that it's smart it has heart and it's really well done and speaking of heart in a long journey of tony getting ready to one day be a father and working through his daddy issues the first time we get to see this happen is it iron man 3 with harley is with iron man 3 with harley with a precious little child actor that showed that he can be well directed and not irritating unlike his next blockbuster when he was in jurassic world but in this movie he is precious and has an adorable dynamic with tony stark and he shows back up in endgame and when they showed him in endgame i was already weeping at that point but i mean i've been crying for a while yeah (laughs) for like a solid 
a solid 10 minutes probably at this point. But it... Oh, wow. You lasted longer than I did because I'd been going for a while. I want to say like the last... I started... <laughs> this is going to sound so ridiculous. I started crying when the women front happened. I was like, oh my god, yes! Yes! Girl power! Yes! And then I, then I just kept crying. Well, I was still in like the hyped cheering mode until the last line. And that's once the tears started. Because Tom Holland, once again, broke me. Broke me so, so deeply. It's a thing that he can do. <laughs> it really is, because he had me in... Uh, he has me in Infinity War. Infinity War, when he's like, Mr. Stark, I don't want to go. And I was like, oh, thank God, I don't want you to go either. Yeah. <laughs> If we talk about it, I'll start crying. So we'll get there we in the end. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, as far as that, once again, showing of like, this is part of a conclusion of like a three movie arc, but then also setting up for the future. So in Iron Man 2, while Tony thought he was dying, he did also kind of work through some of starting to work through some of his daddy issues from Howard Stark not being the best father. There was a lot to unpack and a lot to work through. And Though, just as a sidebar, I will say, I love John Slattery, so for him to be cast as um, his dad was just like everything to me. I love John Slattery. <laughs> that casting, as far as casting in the MCU is phenomenal. Absolutely. But as far as, so he kind of started to work through some of that in Iron Man 2, and then come to as far as Iron Man 3, it wasn't necessarily as far as, like, the prepping to one day be a father thing wasn't a part of the arc there, that this was still as far as a part of Tony's arc of just stripping away, like, all the add-ons of, like, things that he thought made him Iron Man of the suits and the money and the tech and all of that and we needed to see Tony as far of out of his element as possible and so that is in rural Tennessee with a child <laughs> right oh my god Don't, when you put it like that that's as far as that's about as out of his element as possible except he does see like a little kinship of that he is kind of science-minded kid and so that in a lovely bit of product placement that he does hook him up with a bunch of Verizon Fios tech equipment which I still love about I I always choose to just be benignly amused by product placement because it's just a reality that we live with but beside the point it was a good foil as far as getting to see a side of Tony we never saw before of him in, interacting with like a kid and so that way that kind of played into later down the line when we do get Peter Parker and when we do get Miss Morgan H. Stark who we love 3000 oh, 3000 that this was a this was an important stepping point for it and so once again you can't forget Iron Man 3 it's important because because 
there are so many MCU movies that I understand if you're doing like a rewatch binge, there are some skippable ones. Mm-hmm. There are. Personally, oh, I don't like the second Thor. Say, well, I own it, but I I do as for is. I only watch about 30 minutes of it, and then I skip to the next movie. I just... I, I have to watch like the it. scene where Tom Hiddleston impersonates Chris Evans, because <laughs> it's, it's perfection. I mean, look, anything with Loki is amazing, but I don't know, I just... That one just... I feel like because I loved the first Thor so much, and I think Ragnarok is hands down one of the funniest Marvel movies there is, I think because those two bookends are so great that the second one just like doesn't live up yeah. to either one. It's perfectly fine. It's like it's a solid C, whereas the others are in... The first one's like a B plus, and, the f- and then Ragnarok's an Ragnarok a is just A. Like, I... It, I, one of my favorite moments of any Marvel movie is in Ragnarok when he puts a scarf over his head and she goes, I can still see your, fi- I can still see you. And he puts a scarf over his mouth. He's like, not now you don't. Well, just to show as far as of one of like the podcasts that I love and just shows in terms of talking about inspired me to talk about movies on a podcast is um, Ragnatalk with Anthony Carboni and Chuck Wendig that they go through Thord Ragnarok in as far as they talk about 10 minute chunks of the movie for each episode is over an hour long and because there is so much to dissect and break down because the movie is wonderful but like I was saying in the MCU spectrum there are skippable ones Iron Man 3 is not one of them. No. Nope. Put some respect on Iron Man 3. Do it. And so, I think that concludes as far as all we're going to talk about there. And so, next week, we will get back to a bit more traditional Christmas fare. And so, some TV holiday specials. And because there are so many different factors in the content on Disney Plus we've talked about original content we've talked about as far as other movies that we've revisited and so like new releases this is our first time as far as talking about the MCU there will be more MCU talk when it comes but next week will actually be our first episode where we talk about TV and so but we're going to do it as a smorgasbord of Christmas holiday wonderfulness <laughs> across some Christmas themed episodes throughout our Disney Channel faves. And so we'll be talking Lizzie McGuire. We'll be talking That's a Raven. That there's probably going to be some Hannah Montana in there. And as far as the fourth one, stay tuned. We'll figure, as far as we're going to figure that one out, that'll be our surprise. Something to look forward to. Exactly. And if you have any, as far as Disney Channel shows, that if there's a Christmas episode you distinctly remember and you want us to talk about, feel free to tweet us at at Once Upon a Stream, and 
we'll add that to the list as far as see if that's one we want to talk about and so definitely would love that feedback and so for sure for sure as far as once again thank you so much for listening to us uh, kind of ramble and get in our feelings about St- Tony Stark and <laughs> character development that this is our longest episode so far and it could be longer but we're gonna be polite we're gonna be polite and <laughs> it's the holiday season and so part of that is just being constantly tired until Christmas 100% that's part of it it just is and so more good things to come that we will be spreading Christmas cheer for we have two more episodes of that before the holiday and then we'll be as far as taking a week off after Christmas and head back into January with more of like some of the original content and releases and doing some deep dives there and so thanks again for listening um our twitter is at once again at once upon a stream that also as far as personal twitter um that's at lipstick and wi-fi for me and at miss megan man for me awesome and so thank you again and y'all have a wonderful week Bye. bye I'm Yeah, I couldn't resist referencing I'm Blue one more time. It's too classic. The 90s goodness. Bye, y'all.